Well, my friends, Scoped Exposure Podcast 200, it is wild that we are here um, after many, many episodes. Um, I just wanted to take a few minutes just to say some sappy shit before uh, we get into the episode. But again, um, you know, just coming off of the Scoped Exposure five-year fest and, you know, the 200th episode, uh, the end of season two of the podcast has, you know, happened within a week's time of each other. Um, I've been reflecting a lot and just thinking about how wild it is, how much this podcast has grown, how much scoped exposure has grown, and how grateful I am for like all of the random hardcore people from around the world who give a fuck about what I do. Um, thinking way, way back to just being a kid from Winnipeg, Manitoba, who wanted to start filming bands and give back to his scene, and how that has blossomed into something that's truly you know, something that I could have never imagined is something I do not take for granted. And I'm insanely um, humble and grateful for even just the opportunity that I have created a, a voice, um, not only for myself, not only for Western Canada, for, for any band or band hardcore person um, that I've been able to have on the show. Um, I am just, yeah, I'm sometimes it's hard to find the words of just how like excited I am for the future of this podcast, for the future of Scoped, um, you know, five years in and it's been a crazy amount of things going on and there's a lot to be uh, announced and uh, and planned out for, for the year ahead. Um, for, for those that might have missed uh, the end of season one of the podcast, usually I take a little bit of a break as far as, you know, prepping and, and reframing things for season three. So, Season three will kick back, well, the podcast will kick back on October 4th, um, 2022. Um, so we're just kind of taking a month off just to, again, you know, reframe a couple of things. I'm already recording interviews um, for season three, but just giving us a little bit of a backlog and, you know, focusing on some other things for Scoped. Um, but again, to, to try and keep it short, as short and sweet as possible, um, Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing the episode. Thank you for rating. Um, all that shit really goes a long way. Um, and I really, I'm really focused now on making the Scoped Exposure podcast the number one hardcore podcast of all time. Uh, and the only way that I can do that is by your support. So again, I really appreciate y'all. Um, please enjoy my conversation with Walter of Rotting Out. And... Enjoy whatever beverage you're drinking today. Um, I'll see you. I'll see you soon. Thanks. Bro, I want to die fat. Like, I want to die happy, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to be, like, meal prepping when I'm fucking 80. Like, <laughs> fuck, like right? Like, fuck that. Yes, I am growing strong, kid. My muscles are getting bigger. Oh. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. This is another episode of the Scope Exposure Podcast. Um, episode 200, actually. So I think for something as big of a milestone as that, I wanted to have a guest on that. Uh, someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a long time, but I think just the serendipity of um, just 
having a couple things in the mix and, and seeing his band play live and then being able to chat. Um, so I'm very, very excited to be welcoming Walter of Rotting Out onto the Scope Exposure podcast. Thank you for joining me today, my friend. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Um, I think I might have missed your first message to be on this show. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad I caught it this time. Mm -hmm. me as well um it 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 is funny sometimes you know sometimes i send it through and i i know full well my message is probably a message request purgatory um i think the first time i that i maybe soft asked you was when um you guys had your show back in march um when it was under the street prowl name Uh, i got to see you guys play live and i think it was like Suddenly after the show, I was with uh, shout out Georgia from Discovered. We were chatting a little bit, and I was like, "Hey, I know you got some time off just with recovery, but you know, if you want to jump on." And then, and then I think of a month later, I sent that first DM that that got lost in the sauce a little bit. So we're here now, and uh, and yeah, I'm very excited to be chatting with you about the band and your life and everything in between. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, uh, that show was actually really fucking good. but it's been yeah it's been pretty mellow for me since i got surgery that month and then like up until recently where i'm a little bit more mobile a little bit more i suppose active right but um yeah i'm down for all of it Mm -hmm. so before we get into the music chats walter um it's a tradition here to check some beverages for the show and when i I say bevs it's anything under the sun so tell the folks at home what you're going to be sipping on during our conversation today Today is a classic Dr. Pepper, right? You know, I guess for a long time I was uh I was under the assumption that the folklore was true that it was a prune drink. Oh, it is not a prune drink. Okay. It, it contains no pr- no prune juice in it whatsoever and uh and I looked it up before this show and I was like, "Wait, my bubble was busted. It, was like, oh, <laughs> fuck. it has no, it has no actual prune in it, but definitely in my top four drinks of all time. All time, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, uh, what is it? It's uh, Mountain Dew Code Red, traditional Coke, Coke Vanilla, and Dr Pepper. Got you. And and you're just doing regular old Dr Pepper, fla- no flavoring Dr. or anything no, like that. No, gotcha. Just gumping it. Just dumping it today. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it, it 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 is funny because I've never heard that conspiracy that there's prune juice or prune of any kind in Dr Pepper. But now now I know. Now I'm wise, a little bit wiser today. Um, yeah, it was just some long-standing myth or whatever. Right? Just you know, <laughs> cool, right? It's gonna make me shit or something, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's fine. Yeah, it might make you shit for other reasons other than that. But uh, yeah. Um, as far as beverages for me, uh, it's a pretty. It's been a classic drink here on the show. But I've just been drinking a lot of Liquid Death over the summer. So just straight up water. Uh, I don't know if you've had one of these yourself. Um, I drink those all the time. Okay. Uh, I think actually you were drinking some at that show back in March. Yeah, I think I was. uh, For some reason, they sent rotting out a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. I honestly like the sparkling water more. I agree. Uh, And I don't care for the other flavors, but just the regular sparkling water was... it's good for me. I'm. I need a little carbonation, and I'm good to go. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. It is. I'm very much on the same wavelength. When they s- sent me the latest care package, it was just white can, so it was just the still kind. But if I'm 
out at a 7-Eleven and I'm picking some up for myself, it's always sparkling if they have it. Um, we unfortunately yeah. don't have any of the um, of the flavored uh, stuff here in Canada just yet. So whenever I'm down there, I'm trying to pick some up as much as I can. All right. There. Yeah. I mean, you could get uh, like bubblies better right, <laughs> when it comes to flavors. Sure. We uh, Target down here has their own brand and it's Target Sparkling beautiful. Water. Yeah, Target. Oh. Well, it's called like Good and something. Uh, it's like their 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 brand name, right? And um, yeah, I go through those like by the case. So like, I'm always drinking sparkling water, and it's usually the Target brand. And uh, I'm a big fan of those. Mm, I'll have to check those out next time I'm you know in the states and and swing by a Target. But uh, Walter, cheers to you, my friend. Really excited to do this podcast with you. Cheers. <laughs> of course. So, Walter, I, there's a lot that we can unpack, but um, any new guests that I have on the show, I always like to get a little bit of context about how they just got on the path of being in bands, you know, listening to hardcore music. I know you've done a plethora of interviews yourself, so whether that's the super short version or the super long version or whatever length in between, uh, just tell me a little bit about how you initially got put on to hardcore punk DIY, however you want to spin it. Uh, DIY was always kind of like sewn into like the Los Angeles culture. Right. So at a young age, eight, 10 years old, I was always going to backyard punk shows and backyard punk shows in LA are very infamous and very legendary. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like easy access to music and all styles of music, like on the same bill in a backyard at some like sketchy house, it would be like a death metal band, a ska band, a punk band, an oi band, all in the, all on the same bill. Mm. So having mixed bills was very very normal to me. It, um, and then when I got into high school, I had this friend at the time. He was like a year older than me, I believe, and uh, he put me on to like hardcore and stuff like that. And I didn't really understand what he meant by it. Like, he's like, oh, you listen to hardcore? You know, I'm like, oh, hardcore what? You know, like, and and he's like, oh, you know, like hardcore. And I didn't understand that he was talking about just hardcore punk because um, it did kind of separate itself from traditional punk. Mm-hmm. And so he gave me this CD to listen to, and it was this camo colored CD. And it was Throwdown Beyond Repair record. And I remember listening to that record and going holy fuck like what is this so i was i wasn't necessarily like a metal kid uh or like a grunge kid or a punk kid i was just i just liked it all you know essentially you know when you're that young you just kind of absorb everything as much as you right. can um because prior to like being eight nine years old it was just tupac and selena and that was that was it that's all like I was really kind of like accustomed to, right? Um, so anything rock or metal oriented was most of the time not really encouraged in our house. Uh, so when he let me borrow the CD for his birthday, he bought tickets for him and a couple of us to go to see Throwdown at the Showcase Theater in Orange County in 2000. I believe it was 2000. And uh, oh, I was like 14 years old um, and I remember just standing there and thinking it was the wild shit, I, the wildest shit I've ever seen. I was like, this is insane because there was no 
there was no distinctive look, right? Like it was literally a dude in some like bands, some jeans. He was like five seven. He had like a misfit shirt on, just looked like some regular dude. And he was just singing like really hard to these ass beating riffs. And it was completely okay. Like it taught me that you didn't need to look the part to just be a part, mm-hmm. right? To just be a part of it. And that really, that really spoke to me, you know, and that made me really dive into a lot more shit. So what I did, like most people at that time, we looked at the thank you list on the records and on the CDs and we go, that's a cool name. Okay. I want to listen to that band. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be like, Oh, who's Bane? Who's Adamantium? Who's Faded Grey? Who's like uh, Converge? Like, who are these bands? I want to know more about these bands. And that's just kind of like how we did it. Right. And then we, I, I became more encouraged to go to like local shows, like hardcore shows. Right. Um, I didn't really go to shows too often because I just, I, I couldn't afford it. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends that drove and most in LA, all the shows are kind of far if you're like a 14 year old. Yeah. Um, so I would always save my money and kind of buy like a ticket for like one of the bigger shows. Like, Oh, cool. I'm going to go see terror and hate breed uh in hollywood right oh cool i gotta save my money for like a month in order to like afford that ticket right Right? and so that's kind of how i started going and then as soon as i like turned like 17 i would just go to as many shows as i possibly could and i never really had friends other than the friends i had in high school and most of them didn't go to hardcore shows except my guitar player so when it came to writing music, me and him just wrote almost everything together. We've been playing since high school. And, you know, sometimes it'd be a different style. Sometimes it would be um, something more traditional or we would be in different bands. I would be in another band. and But somehow we always came back and we always kind of like really liked the chemistry between the way we wrote together. And uh, never, in, never in my head did I think I would tour outside of Los Angeles, let alone outside the country. Right. You know, so it was, it was pretty, it was, it was very surprising, honestly, that anybody gave a shit about what kind of like things we were coming up with and recording and stuff like that. I was just stoked to play shows. Yeah. You know, I didn't even sing at the time. I was just stoked to just like riff and like headbang. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what, and that's what it should be. Like when you're a teenager, or someone in your early 20s, right? You don't give a shit about being cool. You just want to play. You just want to fucking mosh, dive, and listen to new bands. And right. that, that was it for me. And I was content with just doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for anything that came from any of it, you know, that wasn't just that. So going back a so, little bit, um, you were you were mentioning, like, your first show experience. You're just seeing all these people that just look like normal and there's not like this weird thing of like, oh, like that's the person that's in the band. It's like, oh, this this is the person that I would see like walking in between to, to the merch tables or to the bathroom or whatever. But then they're like getting on stage and doing that. Was there like a precursor prior where you just had uh, a thing where you, if you played in any aggressive or even just music in general, you had to look a certain way or act a certain way? Or like what kind of broke the glass? Um, yeah. Uh, there was definitely like a visual standard to most like 
subgenres of like rock, right? Or like mm. alternative music and stuff like that. So like, oh, you're in a grunge band. We can kind of kind of figure out what that's going to look like, right? Sure. You got some bands, jeans, flannel. Cool. And like a dirty ass shirt. And you're kind of like not well maintained, right? <laughs> and then, oh, if you're in like a metal band, there's a good chance your jeans are a certain style. The shirt you're wearing is specific. The colors you wear are specific. The way your hair is is very specific, right? And mm-hmm. then that comes with like the street punk oil scene down here too. You know, the studs, the jackets, the boots, the spikes, the mohawk, like everything was kind of categorized with the visual. And hardcore, even though once you're in it, you do kind of pick up on these like little like social trends within the scene. Sure. The Air Max is the, you know, yeah, like shit like yeah. that. <laughs> and, and even then that changes over time, right? Totally. Like we, there's the skate highs, there's the sambas, there's the fucking Air Maxes, right? It changes with time, hmm. which is fine. Like that's perfectly okay. But for the most part, not one person always looks like, not one group of people always look the same at a show, right? Mm-hmm. And especially a show like that Throwdown show, like none of the, all the dudes on stage didn't look the part of anything really. Mm-hmm. And that was cool to me and also kind of surprising. And I was like, oh, I don't got to look any type of way for anybody to care for me to be here. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't feel dumb for being here, just looking exactly the way I look. And that was, that really spoke to me at a young age. Yeah. You know, I'm, I was a poor kid, so I couldn't afford the things I would have liked to afford. Right. Like certain band shirts, I just couldn't, I just fucking couldn't, man. Um, I thrifted all my clothes and not because it was cool at the time, just because <laughs> right. that just was like, necessity. That, yeah, it was just out of necessity. My mm-hmm. family was just, you know, everything was kind of hand me downs. And to me, that was very normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and then hardcore is sick in that way where it's, it's this melting pot of all of it. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, this is, this is where I belong. Was it also like this is where I'm supposed to be right now? Was it also like the the aspect the aspect of like maybe um, coming from a family that that you know struggled and you had to you know pick and save up money to see bands like Hatebreed, like you mentioned, where it's like going to a local show. That was the thing that I I always thought about how cool it is that like most shows, you know, and you know with the way the world goes, like inflation and all that bullshit. But like, for the most part, uh, a regular hardcore show that you can go to locally is like $10, $15. Where like any like local show of like, you know, uh, a bigger folk artist or like any anything like that is probably going more and more and more expensive. So it's like, at the very least, like hardcore is like this subculture that like really em- empowers like, hey, like you don't have to be, you don't have to have a lot of money in your pocket. And I would even argue there's a lot of promoters that, that are probably listening to this. They're like, if a kid came to a show and they're like, Hey, I'm short $5 or I literally have no money in my pocket. They probably just let them into the show. Like it's, it's a super like open space that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nate from Zababa started SOS booking with a couple of his friends at, you know, young age. And that's one of the reasons like, LA is so thriving in that way where it was so welcoming. And if some kid was like, Hey, I don't have this much. I've literally seen him go. It's okay, dude. Just help us clean up after the show. Mm -hmm. 
right? Something like that, like a pay it forward, like, you know, due diligence type shit. And that was an, and for me, if I, that was that, at that age and all I had to do was pick up trash after the show to get in for free. Absolutely. Every single time. Right. Right. And, but you can't do that for fucking modest mouse. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You can't, you can't, you can't no, you'll fucking laugh in your face and tell you to fuck off. Right. You know, with already like a $50, like ticket for the show. Right. You know, you can't really work that off. Um, and yeah, it is kind of that like uh very open and very welcoming, like, hey, yeah, like we get it. Like, not everybody's rich, not everybody's gonna afford this show. What are you what can you offer? You know what I mean? It's right. really like what can you offer? Not everybody's begging, like, yo, just let me in, just let me in. But you know, it's like, oh, like, cool, like what what can you what can you give? Right. Um, and so that's why it's always been pretty pretty sick you know because if a show is sold out most of the time we're gonna overpack the show we're like oh fuck it it's sold out anyways just fucking let's sneak as many people we can into this fucking tiny exactly. ass building mm-hmm. until fire marshal says to fuck off you know <laughs> right um yeah. so yeah you've laid some of the groundwork as far as like some of the original like moments where you were kind of first seeing this and then you just started naturally as mo- a lot of people have come on this podcast like go down the rabbit hole going to as many shows uh, as you can and then you alluded a little bit to like ha- like the beginnings of like starting to play music and yeah like i i was doing research for this podcast and i um i was like oh like wikipedia tells me that you were originally doing guitar and vocals before actually doing just vocals yeah so the writing out demo and the first EP, um, uh, we had a singer and his name was Mike. Mike was from Maine, but he moved to LA. And me and Carlos had written these songs. And uh, we had started a band called Dogpile and we just had a demo. And then he left the band. And so we wrote a bunch of new songs and we were looking for a singer and we asked him to sing for that one. And he joined that one. <laughs> and, and then we wrote those first two records and then he quit again right oh, before. No. Yeah. We had basically finished writing street proud, at least all the music. And then, you know, we, I spoke to him. I was like, Hey man, like, what do you got? Like, what are your things? And he was just, he showed up to practice one and he's like, uh, I'm going to quit. And we're like, Oh, we just wrote this full length. This is going to break us mm-hmm. like as a band, right? Like this is going to break us. We had some cool shows on those EPs and that demo and we're gaining traction. Right. And I was just like, ah, fuck. All right. Whatever. Like, we're just going to have to like use these songs for something else. Or, you know, we, we didn't really know at the time. And so I was like, you know what, maybe we can get someone new to sing. And I started looking around. I started kind of like, asking friends and like throwing people in mind and my drummer was like hey what if you sing and i was like whoa i don't know i don't know about that man like i was i like playing guitar i like kind of hiding right but he had seen me do like guest spots at like have heart shows and like my other friends shows where like they would give me a mic for like a verse or whatever you know and i just kind of did my thing and he thought it was very he thought it was cool enough to recommend me to sing full-time for the band sure but he made a good point he's like you're already a face in the band people won't see this as something too new because you're already in the band and they're like well fucking comeback kid did it and i'm like 
like, oh, well, you're not wrong. So, all right, like, what's the worst? We write the record, I sing, people don't like it, we just start a new fucking band. That was that was really it. That was really like, ah, fuck it. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Right. And so, just like everything else, I dove into that head first and I did my best. And people were really stoked about what happened. And you know, I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like, was the the original thing, like you said, like you're playing guitar, and then like, were you kind of hesitant to like, um, like you the term you used that I thought was interesting? You said you're like, oh, like I like doing this. I like hiding. So, did you feel like, oh, like as soon as I grab the mic, I'm like in the forefront. I'm like all eyes on me. Like, was that daunting to a degree? Oh, very much so. I was very good at just kind of hiding behind my energy. Mm-hmm. and letting the front man take most of like all if not all the limelight right like i just wanted to be like a supportive energy in my band and it right. was fun um having to speak to people having to like kind of like maneuver a crowd you know um those things were terrifying to me you know like probably the only reason i could talk on podcasts is because i was forced to talk at shows you know like i couldn't just not say anything between songs like i would start to get weird after a while or kind of like arrogant in like some fucked up way Mm. um and the whole point is trying to connect with the crowd and connect with people you know make people feel like a part of your band and whatnot and so that took time you know even my first show on vocals i'm sure you can find the video somewhere i'm literally standing in one spot the whole set i did not move and like I may have shimmied to the side once, but the whole set, I was so like stressed and anxious and fucking, it was so nerve wracking. I just stood in one spot. And, and honestly, it was like that way for a while, at least that feeling. And then I just like, I saw the video of it, like that following week after the show. And I felt so embarrassed. I was like, why am I just standing there? All my favorite front men don't do that everything that I've admired in other bands when it came to like their vocalist and their energy, I was not replicating it. And I, after that day, that was kind of like this hard lesson and like this harsh reality that I had to look at where I was like, I can't do that anymore. I Mm. can't just stand there. I have to make people believe I love doing what I'm doing, whether there's 15 kids or 150 kids, like it doesn't matter. And I, I need to basically shut, everyone out for 30 minutes and just just kind of like live in that moment yeah it took a minute but um but once i got used to kind of like disconnecting it got so much more fun what do you think is like maybe the the first show that you felt like you found that pocket of like oh i know how to get this in the zone of being able to do this um let me see it was probably when we did the first tour for the Street Prowl record with uh, Soul Search. We did this Homeboys from Hell tour, and uh, it was just us and Soul Search. It was their first tour ever, and it was like our first tour with me on vocals. Mm. But we had already played some local shows, and I just was using that to just kind of like build my confidence and stuff like that. But once we did that tour, I felt 
honestly, I felt amazing. I felt so comfortable with what I was doing that I had kind of let go of any type of criticism or like feeling embarrassed or anything like that. Um, and so that tour was very, very fun for me. And it just was a great growing experience um, from that. And uh, I learned that I don't really know how to hold back at, like during sets anymore. Yeah, I have this tendency of just going 110 every single time. And it's it's honest, but sometimes it's excruciating because my adrenaline is I'm in such a fight or flight mode that I don't know how to stop until like I'm collapsing. Right. Right. But apparently some people say that's kind of like the energy people enjoy when they go to a rotting out show. So I'm like, all right, like if it ain't broke, <laughs> don't fix, fix it, it and, until it's yeah. actually like needs fixing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think like, um, you know, the time back earlier in March was the first and only time that I've gone to see you guys. Uh, I think I, I would have in theory when uh, uh, you guys were going to do that Pennywise tour, but you know, not being able to, to do that was, but anytime I were to watch a rotting outset, I'd be like, yeah, like it, I wouldn't have even thought for a second that you had any struggles in the beginning of being able to be a presence on stage. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to hear that, you know, doing some local shows helped build a little bit of like, you know, stamina and just like, okay, like I can do this. And then just being out on the road and just all the stuff that happens, uh, during that helped seal the deal. And then you're like, okay, I, I, I got this. Yeah. In those early days, I had to be like, well, what were my favorite bands doing? Right. So, mm -hmm. um, I think somewhere along the line someone told me i don't even know if it's true but somebody was like oh i heard john joseph saying all of um age of quarrel when he ran and i was like oh fuck, i gotta do that <laughs> like that's what i have to do i didn't think that there was any way other than that i was like oh dude's one of the illest dudes live um you know that i grew up like listening to i was like that's what i have to do mm -hmm. like he's all over the stage and he sounds sick cool I have to do that, you know, and that sucked like trying to jog and sing at the same time, or at least like mumble the words while you're running that throws off your breathing was fucking horrible. Right. But I don't know what happened. Those two years after that, I felt almost invincible when it came to moving and singing. Hmm. So that was before I started powerlifting. So I wasn't nearly as heavy. Sure. And I was very, very agile at that time. Yeah. No, I, I've never thought about practicing vocals in a way of just, you know, you're on the treadmill. But in a live setting, that totally makes sense when you're bouncing around side to stage and then yeah. you're flipping on people. So, you know, maybe that's the one tidbit for all the vocalists listening is try practicing yeah. your vocals while running or, or jogging at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Or just push your body to it's a breaking point. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's really all you can fuck it. You um, know? Um, something else I was going to ask you is like, I think something that I've always loved about rotting out and I'm sure a lot of, you know, fans of yours can attest to this is too, is just like your style of vocals. Cause I think when people just listen to the records, they don't, it, it, it might feel like a, a weird connection when they actually see, Oh, like, 
here's Walter, who's this like giant dude, but like just your style of vocals doesn't match that like super heavy, like, you know, typical stuff that you would think. So like, did you take uh, inspiration when you were like, okay, I'm going to do vocals for Rotting Out now? Or like, was that something that you just refined over time? Or it, uh, is that just like your natural, like, you know, I scream into in, a mic and I sound like this? In the In the early days, I wanted to be... Ray Capo. I wanted to be John Joseph, right? Like those were like the energies that I really admired, right? Sure. But I also want to have like the same presence Henry Rollins did, right? Where it was unapologetic, but also almost spitfire, just like Ray Capo and John Joseph, right? Like just boom, 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 back to back to back to back to back, where you're trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. right um and still have that kind of like stern and like dominating presence that henry rollins did at least what i saw as a kid right mm-hmm. um and i didn't necessarily try to mimic it i just tried to do my version of it like oh like how would how would that how would that look on me right and um that's when you have to kind of that's when I would have to like disconnect myself from what was around me and just kind of live in this almost cinematic moment of my own life, right? <laughs> totally. Yep. Yeah, in the in those early days, I would literally just listen to like some of my favorite movie dialogues like on my iPod. Hmm. You know, I would sit there and listen to pulp fiction. I would sit there and listen to like uh Unforgiven, right? The Western. I would I would listen to Goodfellas. I would just in my headphones. I would just that's the stuff that I would listen to, you mm. know. And I was a huge movie buff growing up, so like those were the things that really like put me in a mental state to be just like, okay, just go do it. Just go do it. You're you have this feeling. Hold it. Go. Um, that was my only way of you know preparing at that time. Mm. And it helped me kind of create this own like internal world, right? This like little circle of chaos, this pocket of chaos on stage and leave it there. That was it. (laughs) Whatever happened, happened. And sometimes it was cool and sometimes it's exhausting. I I just love the the visual of being it like this is the cinematic moment of, you know, at least my my day because like i think anyone that plays in a band like myself uh you and anyone listening to this like you almost get into uh, a realization of like oh we're like two songs left and i don't remember what's happened over the last you know four or five that happened beforehand so it's like such a a build-up moment and then it's like happening so quick and you know as someone that also film shows it's nice to be able to look back but a lot of you know, bandmates of mine, past and present, um, would be like, yeah, I don't remember anything from that show because it was just so balls to the wall from the start of it and then, you know, being able to do it. So I, I like this, like, you know, if if there's the 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 Walter show and it's like that's the the climax moment of everything kind of happening where, you know, not like it's full, um, oh, what's that movie? Um, not like, everyone's watching but if everyone was that's the part that everyone would watch the truman show the truman show thank you i i knew you were a movie buff so i knew you would pull yeah. that out of you yeah. know thin air um yeah. so um no please but no you're 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 right uh i believe anybody that when they love doing what they're doing on stage when they play and they're completely invested in it 
it disappears absolutely it's almost like you're in this state of chaos that in the moment feels like forever but as soon as it's over it's almost as if it never happened right and it's kind of, it's 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 bizarre and it's absolutely euphoric you know um which is a good way to tell if bands are lying to themselves <laughs> or lying to the to the people they play for cuz you can kind of see through the bullshit like let's be real like it's you you can you can you can read when a motherfucker is trying too hard it's very easy and that's the problem you shouldn't try at all you just do you just go do whatever it is you do and no one can be mad at you for just doing that but yeah. when you're trying to go out there and impress people you already failed that's the thing that's the problem when you try to impress anyone other than yourself you've absolutely failed hmm. and uh, uh that's the one thing i never wanted to do i was like i'm not here for anybody but myself right and that's usually the best i try to do in just in general in life right like i'm not really trying to please everybody you know obviously we have to do our part when it comes to relationships and jobs and you know even self-care and like maintaining our own personal health right like but don't force yourself into a position for the sake of others hmm. it's it never turns out fucking good for anybody so i feel like that's uh, a perfect transition into like talking about like just the trajectory of rotting out cuz like you said like i'm just doing this band for myself you know, doing it with my friends, like you had no aspirations to even play outside of LA and rotting out of his at this point been all over the world. So I, I love being uh, in a position to ask a, uh, someone like yourself in a band of, of that level, like at what point did you know that it was like, not like you made it because that might sound a little cliche, but at what point did you feel like, like almost overwhelmed, like, that your musical project had had reached that level like was there ever like a certain show or an opportunity that you like felt like like almost like brought you to, to tear tears or like what however you emotionally like felt impacted um, by so it wasn't so much we made it it was so much what is going on mm. what's happening right i i didn't see it as like an achievement right because to me that wasn't something i was trying to achieve right i I, just, I looked around and i looked at my guitar player and my bass player and my all my members and i kind of gave them the look like what is happening <laughs> like what's happening right now and it was at home there's always kind of like hometown support, right? There's always this, I don't want to say obligation, but that's when most of the time you're going to do your best. Yeah. Like almost, almost always. I get it. It's so it's hard as much as I appreciate home shows. Sometimes it's expected, right? The first time it was outside of LA where I really looked around the room and realized that people were there for us and not just to check us out right there's a difference between going to see a band and going to check someone out right yeah and it was 
in Germany. I think it was Frankfurt. I can't remember, but I remember it was like, it was almost kind of like, um, uh, like their version of like a rec center. Um, and the stage was kind of in the corner. The, the lineup was Bane, Cruel Hand, us, and an opener. So we were two of four. And it was, it was, there was a lot of people out front for the opener. There was a couple, like a handful of kids moshing inside, but the turnout was big because it's Bane, right? It was like 2012, 2013. And like Bane had just dropped a record and it was a lot of momentum. And so we were just stoked to be invited. It was our first time away from home outside of America. It was our first time in Europe. So we were just glad to be on the ride. Right. And um, I remember we were setting up and a bunch of kids were in the room and I was like, Oh, you know, this is probably just how they do shows in Germany. Everybody just comes inside and watches you. Right. And the room kept getting fuller and fuller as we were setting up more and like, kind of like sound checking and like, just kind of like doing like a line check and whatnot. I'm just like, Oh, wow. Like, uh, I would get kids just kind of like up front and like nodding at me, like, Oh, cool. Like, Hey, like, Hey, stoked to see you guys. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, cool. Thanks. Like, thanks for checking us out. <laughs> Cause that's, that's, that's what I figured was happening. Right. You know, um, you know, new band, new band in a foreign country. So I didn't expect anybody to know what we were doing. And, you know, I just expected like new support, which was cool. Yeah. As soon as my guitar player just started hitting the first notes, everything just went berserk. Kids were diving off everything. And instantly my blood just filled with adrenaline. And it was insanity and even now i'm just getting goosebumps from like reminiscing about that Mm. because what is a kid from the projects of san pedro you know i've lived in shelters i fucking my home life was not that cool i was a loser in high school i was just kind of just kind of like this like slum dog as a kid you know what i mean with no real aspirations other than i just wanted to riff with my friends you know, and these kids are singing songs I wrote in my bedroom, right? Like uh, half, half across the world. And that's when I had that moment where I'm like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Like, why are, like, I know why people are singing along, but also why are they singing along? Like, I don't get it. Like <laughs> they, they give a shit that much about our band that they're, doing this right now you know because the way i looked at it I was like oh this is how i act for bane for terror for you know for all my favorite bands right and for somebody to like reciprocate that to my band was it it was it was hard for me to fathom that at the moment it, it, i couldn't digest it just yet mm-hmm. and that's when i knew uh things were starting to happen for our band like you know there people were listening to what we were doing Mm -hmm. right and that yeah that was that moment i think it was 2012 uh yeah yeah. so like 10 years ago yeah that was yeah that was about 10 years ago yeah jesus christ yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i i love that you broke down the connection of like 
oh, people are here to check us out because, you know, we're the band from America that's coming through on this, you know, largely American band tour package. But, like, you know, it's just what, you know, I'm going to support this band versus, like, I know your lyrics. I know the parts that I'm going to, you know, lose my mind to. Um, Yeah, it just becomes, like, a totally different game of, like, oh, like, yeah, like, people are, are here to celebrate, not just educate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, you know, uh, like, I'm forever grateful for moments like those. You know, they've happened in different parts of the world, in different parts of the country. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a very realistic person to where I know what markets are good for riding out and what markets aren't. And to me, that's not, like, an issue at all to me. It's like, oh, cool. Like, hey, this is just going to be one of those shows where we just, let's just do our best to sound good, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, you know. Or we're on a tour with that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, no one knows us here. We are doing this tour because that's the point. Because no one knows us here. And we want to make people like kind of just more of an exposure tour, right? So we we will play the gig and do our best and do what we do. And hopefully, you know, people are into it. You know, for me, doing those tours was never to make our band bigger. It was always to get kids to cross over. And I didn't want to be some metalheads kid, like some new metalhead. I didn't want to be his new favorite hardcore band. I wanted to be that bridge to their new favorite hardcore band. Mm-hmm. I wanted to open the door. I want because I know this kid fucks with these types of metal bands. But if I can show this kid that he can go see Downpressor in a small venue and it would change his fucking life, then that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was the whole point for me. It was never to be somebody's new favorite band. It was to be that doorway to this whole other world that they just never had the opportunity to see. Right. Mm-hmm. And some of these kids don't know about straight edge. Some of these kids don't know that you can book your own shows. That's the reality. Well, you know, some of these kids don't know that they can talk to bands, befriend bands and be in bands. And there's no hierarchy. Right. Yeah, you'll get motherfuckers that will want to ride this like social ladder and whatnot. And that's in every scene and it's obnoxious and stupid. Right. But in something like hardcore, it can make someone feel very welcomed or less discouraged to do those things. Right. Totally. I, and, uh, I don't think I've ever heard it from a band member of like, hey, art, like, our band wasn't like, hey, like now you listen to hardcore, but we're the gateway to the rest of the world. Like usually that like gateway um like terminology is usually put on to like, oh, like this like knock loose is a gateway band that did all these things versus like, hey, that was kind of just our mantra and and we hope that we did that. And so I don't know, to me that's very cool that that you said that versus someone saying that about rotting out, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like I never wanted to be people's favorite band. Like that was, I wanted to be my favorite band. Right. And like I said, I'm super realistic with like how things evolve in hardcore in bands. If you don't keep going, you get out of the way. Right. And you know, that applies to everyone myself, right? If we're not touring as much, why am I going to shit on someone's opportunity for growth? Right. This is a young man scene. You know, this is for young people like 
take this over. I don't want to do this forever. You have to, I want to see more 16 year old, 15 year old kids at shows. I don't want to play to 25 year olds. And then they decide to join a band when they're 28, 29. It's like the hardcore was for like teenagers and kids in like their early twenties. Like that's who hardcore is for. Like right. essentially that that's when it's the most important. Right. And not to like take anybody's hard work away. No, 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 not at all. But that's what I'm trying to inspire. I'm trying to inspire like young kids that need something like this, that need to get their hands in the fucking dirt and build something. I want them to create something. I want them to start booking their own shows, you know, start, start their own bands. I want to make, you know, I want, I want to play a show and have a bunch of girls see rotting out and be like, Oh, this is a very masculine, like testosterone driven type of band that looks the part as well. Go to, a, you know, get them into hardcore, go to a hardcore show, see a, a band with females going just as hard and feeling encouraged to do the same. Totally. It, me telling a girl to join a band is not going to speak as loud as a girl actually fucking doing it. And that's, that's what you need. I know my fucking place, man, you know, and there's certain things that just like, you have to see it for it to speak much more volume. And me telling you, isn't going to do that. Right. right? Yeah, you no, know. I, I think that's a great point. And like, and I've, I've said here multiple times on the podcast, like, I feel like people don't realize the power at times of like, just being able to see like someone on stage that you identify with, whether that's your sex, your, your, the color of your skin, uh, the, like whatever it is. And like that speaks more than just someone else telling you what it's supposed to be. Right. Like it, it goes like, I feel like the ripple effect is almost like immeasurable at times. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's fucking awesome. Um, there's, and I, I don't know if this is a ripple effect or whatnot, but it's something that made me very happy in the sense where, I may have contributed to this person's success, right? So Rotting Out is from a small town called San Pedro. It's in the LA County and it's south of LA, right next to Long Beach. Very small city. Mm. A lot of the kids there listen to a lot of skate punk, which makes sense why we sound the way we sound. Um, even though we definitely identify like as a hardcore punk band. Mm. And we would get a lot of the kids there every now and then to go to shows, but they wouldn't really go to like our hardcore shows, right? They'd go to the more like punk influence, like mixed bills. And in 2019, we did a couple shows with Zabalba. We did an LA show and a San Francisco show at the Gilman. At the Gilman, there was this kid up front and he was singing every fucking word and he was stage diving and he had the biggest smile on his face. And he uh, he came up to me after the show. He's like, dude, I was so stoked. I got to see you guys today. Like, hey, I'm from San Pedro too. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's sick. He's like, oh, I'm so-and-so's like cousin. And I was like, oh, I know him from like my fucking high school. That's cool that you're here. I was like, what are you doing up here? He's like, oh, I go to school in like Santa Cruz or San Jose. I don't remember. And. And I was like, oh, cool. That's sick. He's like, yeah, I'm starting a band. Like, I just started a band. And, like, hopefully we can, like, 
put out records and play more shows. I was like, oh, sick. What's it like? What's the name of your band? He's like, oh, it's called Drain. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. So <laughs> Sammy from Drain is from San Pedro. Right. And he grew up seeing a lot of the early rotting out shows just because it was local. Right. And mm-hmm. so then a few days, like last week, they're headlining Sound and Fury. And that right. was one of the coolest things that I was like, holy shit, this is sick. Right. Because we headlined Sound and Fury in 2018. Mm-hmm. Right. And then only for them to come back two Sound and Furies later to headline themselves. Like that. I think that's what all this is about. Right. Like to encourage the next wave of people to fucking take it over completely. Mm-hmm. Fucking rip it out of my hands, man. It's not mine. Yeah. Right. Um, and I hope they do the same with another band, some other kid going to a drain show, totally. taking it in, admiring it, and then doing their thing. Um, since since you brought up Sammy and you know, we're uh we're a very pro drain podcast. Like Cody's come on twice now um the last time very very recently and like i i love that band i remember seeing them for the first time they played for like 12 minutes and i was just like okay this band is like this band's gonna be hella special something that that was super interesting though and i'm only bringing this up because you brought up sammy was i would argue that they put out their debut record the same day that you guys put out ronin and i was and i straight up thought Oh my gosh, that sucks for Drain because Running Out's record is gonna like just implode and like totally foreshadow it. And 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 I think if we're being completely honest, I think it was the the opposite. Absolutely, you got to think about. Everybody wants something refreshing. Mm-hmm. When you're on a third album, people might just assume it's gonna be redundant. Right. It's going to be the same thing over maybe a little bit different, maybe a little harder, maybe a complete change. Right. At that point. People want to know what's been built, what's been building. People want to know what's been swelling up, ready to pop. Right. Right. And Drain was that band. Our records came out the same day. Right. And then COVID hit like two weeks before release. Oh, no, um, like half a month before release. Yeah. So as much as I was like, oh, our record got overshadowed by the uh, the lockdown and the you know pandemic, the reality is like that doesn't bother me one bit that a band like Drain like may have overshadowed our record. That's a great thing. That's the way things are supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? There always needs to be somebody at the forefront doing better, you know, building on these things. And for me, that's not a loss because Sammy's from fucking San Pedro. So that's <laughs> exactly. So that's a win for us. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and obviously like both killer records, like I remember spinning both of them, but it was just like such a weird thing where it, it reminded me of how much, like no one is at the top of the hardcore fill in the blank forever. And that's like a band, that's a festival, that's a record label. Like there's always like the up and comers that like are arguably in a position where it's like one thing away from actually like getting ahead. And and it's not necessarily to be the number one in any specific area, but more of like just that healthy competition. And so that no one has like a, a monopoly on one thing forever, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't think so much. It's like, it's, I don't even think it's friendly competition. I think it's just when you're younger, you want something a lot more. Sure. Yeah. You, ha- you want, when you're an established band and people recognize you, you don't need to establish yourself anymore. Right. When you're an up and coming band and you're like, yo, I have something to say. I have something to show you and I'm going to show it to you. Mm. That comes with this ferocity, this, this energy, this like, like gargantuan scream with it. Right. And Sammy is that Sammy is that energy. And not only that, Sammy's one of the fucking most wholesome individuals I've ever met. Right. Mm -hmm. So you got this absolutely great human being with this, you know, uh, almost over the top energy and you have the right band behind them, like pushing them in that direction. Of course their shows are the way they are. Mm-hmm. Like there's, if you're surprised about somebody like drain, that's dumb. You shouldn't, <laughs> be, you shouldn't be surprised at the success that band is having, mm-hmm. you know, because from my perspective, from being in, in, in hardcore for so long, that's the perfect formula. And there's no bullshit. Absolutely zero. Sammy is having fun for the sake of having fun. And he's not doing it for all the wrong reasons. And you could clearly see that. And that's what makes that band so fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to the entire Drain team. And, you know, it's so funny because I've been... I remember the first time that I met Sammy was when he was filling in for drums for Hands of God. And he came up to me and he's like biggest smile on the face like hey man you're that you're that guy that films shows i was like yeah it's like and he told me that he watched the hands of god um live set from the the year prior to learn like all like the drum parts and all that different bullshit and uh and he's been one of my favorite people to watch and just how he carries himself in hardcore like ever since we met i've been bugging him endlessly to come on the show and i always catch him at a time where he's just in a podcast or he wants to chill out for a bit so sam if you're listening that door is always open uh and i hope that i get to make that happen one day um doing a little bit of a a topic change but you know still staying on riding out obviously i always like to ask this question to any band person that's got a pretty healthy discography to choose from so from your opinion walter what is the most overrated riding out song and what is the most underrated riding out song and when i say underrated overrated i mean like this is the song that i know is for the people and for me it's like i'm just kind of it's for them it's not for me and then what's the song that you wish would catch a little bit more buzz that you it would make sense for you guys to play live a little bit more so for the people would definitely have to be laugh now die later Mm -hmm. so that's it's just one of those it was cool when we recorded it and now it's like so ingrained in my head i'm like oh i want like i'd rather play new shit we haven't played or something else but i get it i get why set lists are the way they are right um songs i wish got more love or at least more honestly songs i wish we played live would probably be 
boy off the last record um or visceral off the last record mm. yeah honestly i'd fuck with bangerang off the wrong way like if we played that live but we <laughs> like my band's so finicky with what they want to play live and they want to keep the energy consistent so it's like oh like all bangers but that's kind of like arrogant to assume that all your songs are hits like <laughs> right but i yeah, just like true. but but i've been surprised before right like i've been like i we wrote a song and i was very happy with it and i definitely didn't think it would get the reaction it got right and then there's songs where i'm like oh this song is gonna be sick and no one gives a fuck about it i'm like oh all right well fuck me right like but um reaper was kind of one of those songs where i was like we wrote it after i got in prison it was short sweet and it was very personal and i was like oh this is a good song like I'm, I'm i hope people fuck with it and it just took off and i was like holy shit like all right i didn't like this is up there with like laugh now die later now like mm -hmm. it's 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 up there in the bill so i'm like holy shit okay like that's i did not see that many people really investing into that song um but one against once again, it may, maybe it just had all the right components, right, for like people to just be drawn to it because it sounds nothing like "Laugh Now, Die Later." So <laughs> that's why I think I just assumed it wasn't going to have the same effect. Sure, yeah. Like I, I think as I've written more music, I've gotten like feedback and and insights from other songwriters where they're like, "Yeah, like sometimes every record you got to like maybe think about like, okay, what was the hit from the last one and writing a song." loosely around the same vibe or feel and that can yeah be so i i learned that from chris uh rawson who plays guitar for stick to your so like and i can definitely hear some of those like oh okay so from this record to this record like here's like the super fast song here's like the more like melodic you know sing along kind of shit um yeah like it's but sometimes it is wild like you put all this energy and you're like this is this is going to be the one and then it's like oh it's actually this other one that's like two before it but like i don't know it's yeah. weird to set expectations for your art um, i don't even think it's expectations i think it's just excitement yeah like because you're just excited about the song itself you're like oh fuck yeah like i'm this stoked everyone's gonna be this stoked <laughs> yes. that's, that's that's not necessarily the case um when we recorded the wrong way there was that song no clue right and very much like paying homage to like uh, uh, suicidal tendencies and whatnot in the way the structure and whatnot. But that song was the last song on that record that we wrote. Mm -hmm. And we wrote that in the studio on a whim. We like, we wrote that song in like five minutes and we're like, Hey, we got this riff and we're like, okay, what if you just kind of like tweak it here? And then how about in the chorus, you just, do it faster. Mm -hmm. So that song is literally just one riff. And I was just like, all right, well, I got to fucking make this kind of catchy. But even then, it wasn't that catchy. And every, I say fucking it like 40 times. <laughs> so and I was just like, oh, this is a very like angsty teenage song. But for some reason, it was one of those songs where I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm this is going on the set list then absolutely mm -hmm. cool right <laughs> and, and i think it's just like we set the expectations because of 
where our excitement levels are right mm. so um i try not to do that anymore i just be like am i happy with the song cool do people like it who cares <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's just you know it's just gravy at, at that point yeah basically mm-hmm. um so Something because I was listening to uh, a podcast that you were on uh, just a few months ago, and you were just talking a lot about like just you seem very self aware just with how your body and how your spirit like are very just intertwined, and sometimes there is conflict between those two. Like, how has that has has hardcore like taught you more of that, or have you learned that just through other aspects in your life? uh that was definitely outside of hardcore so i personally came to a point where i didn't really understand what self-love was it was foreign to my body it was foreign to my mind i was taught to hate myself at such a young age and to kind of never appreciate the things i'm capable of Mm -hmm. right and i was very tired of feeling that way And usually I take every relationship as a learning experience. And sometimes you don't think you did anything wrong when in reality, you just don't have the eyes to see it with, right? Like you need that other perspective, which led to therapy, Mm. you know? And then once I opened that door, I realized there was a fuck ton of things that needed work. And it's, you know, it's just one of those constant efforts. You're always going to try to be a little bit better than the time before. You're always going to try to like fine tune your relationships. You're always going to try to like, you know, just be better. I was definitely not a good person in some relationships. You know what I mean? And part of me either didn't see it or maybe I didn't want to see it. You know, nobody wants to feel guilty that they're the reason your relationships are fucking mess or Maybe you don't want to feel guilty that you're actually hurting someone you say you love, you know? So that's when I really had to take a hard look at myself and like identify how do I fix this, swallow my fucking pride, first of all, and get it done, put in the work, right? And then you get to a point where you start to get comfortable with being okay with not always being right all the time and understanding, oh, damn, that does need a little bit of work. Oh, that needs a lot of work. Oh, I shouldn't be talking to people this way. Oh, I shouldn't be talking to myself this way. Mm. You know? And I think the sooner you are at being just more self-loving, and to some people, that's going to sound so foreign. Like, you know, they think, oh, words of affirmation. Oh, Walter, you're sick. You're fucking cool, dude. Like, come on, like suck today's dick. Like you got this. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, I can't do that. I can't do those things. It just, those things sound very cheesy, corny, and unbelievable to me. So I have to figure out a way to kind of do something similar to that. So what I did is I just stopped being so negative towards myself. I didn't have to say good shit to myself. I just had to try not to say bad shit to myself. Mm. And that's something that was easier for me to digest and to maneuver with. And, you know, uh, I don't have to hype myself up. But if I go, oh, you're a fucking idiot. It's like, you know what? Let's kind of hold back on that. Let's not do that today. Yeah. 
you know, and it's those little things that kind of help you, I guess, build the confidence to just keep going, to keep being better. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not in a point where I could be, Oh yeah, I love myself. That's just not how that works for somebody who's been conditioned to thinking the opposite for so long. But I do start to appreciate things more about myself, right? Mm-hmm. Like my efforts, my relationships, my, um, kind of harsh honesty with myself on how to get better, right? Like I, I am better at admitting when I'm wrong, where I'm wrong, or I don't ever ask for help. And I'm kind of trying to get better at that, right? Like most of us like to suffer in silence and just like, oh no, I'm fine. Right. And just kind of like learning to just extend yourself a little bit with people you trust. Those are the things that are just going to kind of like add up. You know, you do that over a year, you do that over two years and you look back and you realize how much progress you've made. Mm. And, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time and just trying to take every opportunity on like, how can I do this better? How can I be better in this situation? Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I don't want to say I'm some fucking saint or anything because I'm most definitely am not, but I'm better at appreciating myself. And in that sense, learning how to treat others the same appreciation right like you just kind of like you try you, you, you start to be you, the more often you're kinder to yourself the more it's going to reflect on how you treat others that's mm-hmm. really it right so before you're kind of like having that realization that you needed to have some longer looks in the mirror and, and change some things like do you think that that like flipped the script a little bit with how you were just doing a band um and and just being involved in that and the reason i ask is like i think that there are unfortunately a lot of people that will get into punk hardcore and then their their way of being is just so intertwined with um with how they carry themselves out at shows and not maybe looking at like oh what are the things that i can maybe do to improve myself so that when I am at a show or when my band is playing, I'm actually being a more positive, um, just source of energy versus the, you know, almost having the negativity as my personality trait, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, my whole twenties was me just kind of accepting that I'm good at rage and anger. And that is my whole identity. Hmm. you know and it helped my band right you know because people can relate to that people can relate to certain types of pain and to certain types of desperation but i had kind of gotten to a place where i felt like that was all that i was Hmm. right and that's for me was fucking agonizing like i didn't see much more past that and i was like i don't want to feel this way in my 40s and my 50s like i have friends that are in their 30s 40s that are absolutely miserable you know and they just are so afraid to just kind of like look at what they can do with themselves to change and you know most of the time it's fear because nobody wants to be told they're wrong Nobody wants to feel that guilt. Guilt is a motherfucker, man. And it could keep you that way if you're constantly neglecting it, right? If you if you don't want to look at the guilt, how are you going to fucking grow? 
right? You have to accept where that's coming from and how you could do or what you can do to avoid those things. And I, I got to that point. I was like, I had my pity party. And then I was like, wait, you're also hurting other people, dude. Like, it's not just about you. It's like, you got to realize the relationships you're getting into, you're afraid of them. You know, it's like, you want one thing, but then you don't want it. It's like, I was very indecisive when it came to friendships, relationships, all that stuff, because, oh, well, I'm this way. Nobody's going to want me this way forever. So I better just leave. Right. Mm -hmm. So you self-sabotage without even giving yourself the opportunity to get better. Um, And that's kind of like, you know, live, maybe I'll say a couple things uh, about it or not, but usually I just try to do my best to acknowledge the positivities in the room and to like get people to look out for each other a little bit more and try to make people feel like we're on the same level and not I'm not above them mm-hmm. because I'm not, right? Like I can't tell you how many dudes in bands that people like admire that don't realize they have a better living situation, a better mental health situation, a better financial situation than the dudes in the bands they admire. And that's the fucking reality of it. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, but if you treat everybody like you're on the same page and you're not like some unstoppable force, then it makes people feel okay about the shit they feel. And maybe things will start to click for them, right? Like If I can have this conversation over this podcast and someone listens to it, you know, how many dudes from my generation or even generations after me were taught not to cry, right? Like that's cowardly. That's not okay. You're, you're a fucking bitch for doing that. Like you suck it up and you keep moving forward. You don't talk about your feelings, et cetera, et cetera. You don't ask for help, right? Like those are all very, very like, terrible ways to just kind of follow in life and like that type of like cultural trauma is just kind of consistently inherited and i was like i don't want to do that i don't want to make someone feel like they can't talk to me i don't want my friends going through it that they can't fucking call me crying telling me i need help like i don't want that i don't want to feel like people can't talk especially men can't be vulnerable you know and then on top of that like I don't want like my partners to feel like they can't talk to me. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how, how calm I am now when I speak to a partner and they still have these anxieties because their previous partner was very violent or aggressive. And they think I'm going to lash out in the same way. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't want them to feel threatened by me either, you know? I already know how I look and I already know how loud I can get. And I don't want to reflect that when I'm trying to communicate somebody I'm trying to grow a relationship with, Mm. you know, and it's, it, it goes into everything with family. You know, how many families don't talk about the shit that happened? You know, how, how does everybody just ignore the elephant in the room and pretend like, Oh, we're past that. It's fine. You know, you know how long it took my mom to realize that she had trauma. You know, I had to convince her. I was like, yo, like those things fucked you up. And she doesn't understand sometimes how exactly, you know, she's from a different era where mental health wasn't a thing, right? You suck the fuck up and you stop being weird and you get over it. 
that's how a lot of those people at that age and that time were taught, you know? Mm -hmm. And for the most part, when I was younger, that's how that was. I didn't know what mental illness was till I was in like my early twenties. Right. I, I didn't know what PTSD was outside of war, right. Outside of like veterans and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So when you could talk to people and let them feel comfortable with like voicing what they really feel. That's when people actually feel like they're being heard, mm-hmm. you know, and being heard makes you feel less alone. Feeling less alone makes you feel like you don't have to go through things alone. Right. And you feel supported and you feel like there is a support system, you know, granted, that's not your, that shouldn't be your only like means of, coping and you shouldn't always go to people for that support you know but that's going to help you learn the stuff you need to learn to navigate your own troubles on your own as well right it's like it it opens room for a lot more options to get better that's really what i'm trying to say yeah and if if all it is if all that is is just listening to someone thoroughly it's not that difficult instead of someone always waiting for their turn to talk and make it about them Mm -hmm. like none of us are that fucking cool man (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it, it's it's super encouraging because it's like people tune in to this show because it's a hardcore podcast but i think that is not like i never want to set a like a a certain way of like oh well we don't talk about these things like every guest that i have on it i'm just like very curious on where they take it and then i try to see like where i can help you know give a like you're steering the ship but i'm maybe just blowing a a little gust into the wind as far as like oh should we go in this direction and so yeah like i think just hardcore in general it's like you know there's tons of opportunities at festivals at at shows and just at, at different things where it's very easy just to talk about like what people are listening to, what bands people are excited about. But like knowing that, like when you're with friends or even just with strangers, like just being able to be like, Hey, like, uh, like how are things? And like, like talk about like real shit is like such a, such a, such an important thing that I almost think that we need to do more of just like, instead of just like, Oh, like, who like who are you going on tour with oh that's hype like it, it's that's very surface level stuff but i think like being able to like verbally um put it out there to people that like if they're going through stuff like find me at a show and we can talk about it like give me a call like whatever it is as far as like just actually um actually just like keeping the community like together through that if that makes sense yeah, but I think as important as that is, I think it has to start even smaller, right? So yeah. it has to start with the people you go to shows with, right? So I had, um, I asked my friend and I asked her, I was like, hey, have you ever asked your friend what the requirements are of what you expect from them as a friend? We don't, we really don't. We don't ever share our expectations of what they're willing to bring to the table and what they're not willing to bring. Mm. And that kind of clears the table to how to navigate that friendship. Right. If I go, Hey man, what do you expect from me as a friend? 
just so I know, just so one, I can provide that or two, I'm not overextending myself to give you more than what I'm getting in return. And sometimes some people are okay with that. Some people are okay with overextending themselves without wanting anything in return, right? Or being reciprocated. And they were like, I, I don't know. I've never had anybody ask that question. I was like, well, I assume certain things we talk about, you don't want me to share with people, right? That's a good blatant one, but it's never actually been said, mm-hmm. right? And so now that's said. And that's there and that's acknowledged. And now that's a boundary, mm. right? Okay, cool. Well, I'm not friends with this person for these reasons. And I would really like it if that was the case that you weren't either because that affects me. And it just brings a lot of negativity in my direction. If I know you're associating with this person. Okay, cool. Then you decide, oh, do I want to stay in this space with this person Or should I just separate myself from the situation completely, right? And there's nothing wrong with that if you're talking about it and, you know, reassuring each other what the boundaries are and, like, how respected one another is. And then that's when you start to create those rooms where you can talk to about those things, Mm -hmm. those serious things, right? And same thing goes with family, you know? Like, you should be able to talk to your family about certain things. You should be able to talk to your lovers about certain things and kind of just blatantly state those things as silly as it might seem right like as ridiculous as it might seem oh it's like hey man what's your definition of loyalty like when you think of loyalty what are those expectations Hmm. and they go oh this 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 and this and then you go ah i don't know about a couple of those i wouldn't expect you to do that for me so i don't really i'm i don't think i'm on board with two of those And then you can go, oh, okay. So now we're seeing, we're balancing this this tipping scale on how we're going to manage our friendship. Mm. doesn't mean you're right or wrong. It's just how you live your life individually. And you don't want somebody putting their hope in you when you're not going to deliver those things because you don't agree with them, Mm -hmm. right? And once again, once you start to clarify those things amongst each other, like your small group of friends, as a whole community, that's just going to get better. Communication is going to be easier. Talk is going to be easier. Yo, and straight up, like I think the worst thing is expecting other people to grow at your rate. You mm. know, people fumble, people fail. Like, oh, did you hear about dude? He said this like last year, and it was controversial. Or this girl made up these lies about it. People are fucking human, man. People make mistakes out of insecurities, out of fear. They do these things. It happens. But you can't chastise them forever if they're trying to change their behavior. You have to encourage that behavior and be like, hey, man, yeah, you did a really shitty thing, but I'm stoked you're trying to figure this out. Right. If they continue, yeah, shit, fuck it. Send a whole whoop ass over there, right? Like, just (laughs) fucking stop them out if it's that serious, right? Like, I'm also not going to stand here and be like, no violence, no violence. Some people, unfortunately, that's the only way they can talk. With some people, no matter how hard you fucking talk to them, their only language is boot to boot to face, right? Like, and it sucks that it's that way, but that's the reality we live in. Hmm. But for the most part, if you can talk this shit out to the, it's 
without having to resort to that immediately, you're going to realize you're going to spend far less energy and you might actually strengthen a lot of your traits that you didn't really know you had. Right. And once again, that goes back to, you know, the whole community kind of like benefiting from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And and I appreciate you uh, adding all that. Just like it does need to start even just like just individually with yourself, like you need to want to be able to um, improve of, you know, where, wherever in the scale that you are and then being able to do that with people that you are like, you know, your ride or dies, your day ones, the people that you like trust with all of that. And then if we are all doing that, then on a community aspect, yeah, then we're off to the races to be able to do like the actual good work that we all want you know, our hardcore scene, you know, global individual to be, you know? Yeah. Um, so another piece that I wanted to talk to you about Walter is, you know, you're a very strong man and, uh, you like to lift heavy things. And when I was doing my research for the show, um, it, it was very interesting to me that the, the origin of a lot of that, um, you know, didn't come from like a Arnold Schwarzenegger DVD or anything like that. It came from like your mom, like who was like very like, no, you're going to go to the gym. Yeah. So when I was younger, I had injured my leg and I was kind of bedridden for like a few weeks and I was just kind of like letting myself go. Right. And my mom had already like gone through you know counseling for like depression and like eating disorders and stuff like that and you know exercise was a big piece to that like solution right to like being a part of like getting out of those things out of those kind of depressive states and you know she took me to the gym and i just did very normal you know basic stuff you know i did some bicep curls some fucking pull-ups, some push-ups, you know, a bench press here and there. Um, when it really got kicked into full throttle, Rotting Out did a tour with Foundation and Harm's Way. And that's when I spoke to James from Harm's Way. And he was telling me about how he power lifts. And this was 20, 2011, 2010, somewhere around there. Um, no. This was 2009. Yeah, this was around two. No, this was 2011, 2010. No, no, no. Yeah, that, that was, I was singing at the time. And um, I don't know what it was. I was like, yo, this dude has a six pack. He's eating McDonald's. Like, fuck yeah, I need to power lift. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also a sick front man. So I'm like, yeah, of course. I did some research. I, read some programs, you know, I did more like, I kind of like looked into it a lot more than I did like bodybuilding and shit like that. And it was like, Oh, so this is just getting stronger. I was like, fuck yeah. Put me in. Right. And then ever since then, it was just now I've been powerlifting for like, Holy shit, like 11 years, something like that. Right. Right. And then you could kind of see the evolution of rotting out as like, (laughs) the larger i got (laughs) yeah it was it's almost um i think another band that was very much in my um 
rotation that had a very similar thing um not not on the on on the same level as you but like i know matt from uh club icon was just when that band started they were just like he was just a tiny tiny little dude from from texas and then there was a point of you know where they're doing music videos and he's shirtless and looking like he's about to lift a car up like it, it it's very interesting to see how different and and doesn't need to be um you know vocalist specifically but just any band person that starts off as like a scrawny punk that like kind of does that giant uh body transformation so like when you know you did all this research you're doing all this stuff when did it just become like um when did like some of the different things that just happened in your life where like you either didn't have access to the gym or like you know when you got in your injury and you had a surgery and you couldn't go to the gym like how has like the um the waves of that like how have you dealt with that with like getting to a certain point and then like losing weight and then kind of jumping back to that like do you have like an ideal size that you're always trying to be or like is that always just in constant flux i think the goals always change given the circumstances right you always sure. want something to achieve and um you know, touring did not make it easy. So it was hard to grow while you're on tour eating like shit. Um, prison didn't make it easy. You know, I lost weight, Marty, I lost strength. I basically almost starting from scratch. Um, this injury after surgery is not easy. I don't even think I could squat for another six months potentially. And it's now that I'm older, I don't take it as as hard as i used to right um strength was kind of like how i measured my value for a long that. time and that's a very awful thing to do mentally hmm. and aesthetically that was also hard for me because oh if you're not the ripped dude if you're not the buff dude like you're just letting yourself go so i had to like kind of keep going in one direction right hmm. Um, but like, it, it's cool because, you know, now I'm like, haven't really been training. I just kind of started training a little bit like these last few weeks. And like, I have like a fucking truck driver dad bod. Right. <laughs> and, and it's it like, I'm getting more and more comfortable with it. Like my, um, not my, uh, what is it? My, um. My vision of myself was always pretty aggressive as a, and critical when it came to like my body image and stuff like that. So like my body dysmorphia always went through like these waves. And now I'm starting to be okay with it not being what I had always pictured in my head, right? Like what I, what I, you know, like this superhero mentality with what I'm supposed to, or I want to look like I'm getting more comfortable with, just being a fucking dude right like that's right. the reality like nine times out of ten every dude isn't jacked and that's okay right? right and that's the thing it's okay and if you're like oh well like chicks aren't gonna fuck me like oh bro like yeah they will <laughs> you know <laughs> you'll get fucking late yeah. like and that and that's not coming from me that's coming from like friends that go i will never go into a fucking gym and then them like just having great sexual adventures right like just cool 
right? Like there's every, there's, there's someone for everyone. Right. And, and it, and that, that's kind of like where like, you know what? Like, I don't have to be so hard on myself all the time, mm. you know? And aesthetically, like, I don't have to try to feel like this is the standard for a man, you know, mm. I'm okay with having a gut and bench pressing like 400 pounds. Like, I don't need a six pack, right? Like six packs are kind of whack anyway. So, <laughs> you know, I like, I like eating. I like eating out. I like eating like shit. I like eating with my partner. I like eating with my family, right? Like, and to be so hard on myself all the time, like to look a certain way. And obviously like what you take in is a big plays a final role in that like it, it's just too much unnecessary stress on your mental yeah you know granted yeah if you want to lose some weight cool yeah you know take the measures but don't be so aggressive about it because you're, it's it, it's also kind of self-destructing in that sense where you feel like you let yourself down right mm-hmm. like bro i want to die fat like i want to die happy right like i don't i don't want to be like meal prepping when i'm fucking 80 like, <laughs> like right like fuck that right yeah like you know? i i think it boils down to exactly how you said it. it's just like being easy with yourself and giving yourself grace because that's definitely as something as you know i'm i'm definitely not someone if it wasn't obvious that isn't hitting the gym all the time but you know i think something that i am really passionate about i do spend uh, a lot of time on is just like all the different creative projects that I'm doing, whether it's this podcast, my band, um, you know, filming bands, like it, it's a lot of work, but I enjoy the process of being able to turn things out and uh, put things out into the world. Um, but I have very much so, and, and especially Jordan, who's the podcast producer, he he's heard me call him sometimes just being like, I'm so fucking stressed. But I think it's just because I am, getting way better at just being easy with myself like you know what i actually don't need to stay up this extra hour to edit this set or that can wait till next week or i'm actually not even gonna continue chasing down this person for the podcast anymore not because i think that they're a bad person for you know ghosting me or anything like that it's just like you know i just need to be a little bit more easy with just letting things be versus trying to force realities that aren't actually supposed to come to play um yeah so yeah it's it's uh, i think it's just like and and, it, and it's hard because if you're not if you're not able to give yourself grace and you're like constantly judging yourself and you struggle with like feeling the judgment of others like you know you it's a there's there's catch- layers to this whole thing yeah it's catch 22 you're you're just fucked right like <laughs> right um but yeah, yeah, that's that's it. It's it's gotten easier, and luckily, like since I couldn't train, I was like, yo, I could help other people. So like, I took on clients, and I've been helping clients for the last shit five months, and it's cool seeing all the knowledge I've gathered over like the last decade and helping someone else get stronger, right? Mm, yeah. Even if they're stronger than me, like that's cool. Like I got a kid, and you know, he's strong. He just needs the work to execute things accordingly before, you know, probably gets injured. And the dude's going to deadlift way more than me a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. And that's cool that I could be a part of that. Right. right. That That's cool that like, oh, he came to me asking for help. 
and he trusts that I can get him to where he wants. And so that's, you know, that's, that's a huge compliment that I need to accept. Right. I was just like, Oh, this dude's desperate. He probably needs some help. And, you know, I got to look at it. It was like, Oh, he trusts me to get him to where he wants to go. That's cool. That means he thinks I'm doing something good and he appreciates that. Okay, cool. That's how I have to take those things in. Right. I have to be a little bit easier on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, find little ways to like compliment myself without complimenting myself right like okay cool that's that's my version of me being kind to myself Mm -hmm. yeah and it's also like to your point like sometimes you don't realize how how knowledgeable you are about something until you're actually teaching it to someone else um and and at the same token like sometimes realizing like oh like do i actually know my shit you know so there's there is something really cool with being able to put yourself in a in a in 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 an educational role where you're sharing your knowledge with other people and getting to see their successes and their successes are also your successes based off of just like their ability to to grow and involve in, in whatever they're doing. So it's been really cool to see like, you know, like you, you'll have the videos of you lifting heavy, heavy shit, but then, you know, I'm sure you get as much joy being able to watch your clients being able to do, um, whatever, whatever scale of wherever they're at, at the same token, I'm sure it brings you a similar yeah. amount of joy. Yeah. It's exciting because then I go, wait, do I know my shit? And then they get stronger and then I go, fuck yeah, I'm not dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, I what I wasn't wrong. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't sure, but I'm not wrong now. Like now, now it's a fact. Cool. Awesome. It's working. Right. Um, have you do you have any interest in like obviously like you're you're doing like um lifting heavy weights, but is there have you ever pushed yourself in, in a certain situation where you're like, can I lift this car or can I lift this, this like normal everyday world thing? Like, does your brain work on that or is it like mathematical? I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. And again, this um, is someone as like, who doesn't go to the gym all the time. So I don't think about these things. <laughs> not necessarily. It's. Actually, the only time like my mind processed that was sound in a period 2018, where I had like three or four kids on my back. And I was like, can my body take this right now? (laughs) Because it was like at the end of the song. Right. And then later on, like I fucking just collapsed like into the waters, like after the set, because my body was completely like I was white. My Mm -hmm. face was like white after that set. But that was like the only time I was like, no, I'm pretty strong. But like, can I? can I handle this right now in this position I'm in? Like, okay. Right. Um, right. Most of the time it's, it's, you don't realize how strong you are until you do certain things. Right. Like I'll hug my friends and I'll go, fuck, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, holy shit, dude. Um, and I just won't realize it. Right. Or like, I'll, I'll play fight with like my mom or like a girlfriend and they'll go, what the fuck, dude? Like, <laughs> To me, it wasn't like hard, right? Uh, but I also don't, I'm not measuring my own strength that way, right? Like they can hit me and it doesn't really bother me mm. in any way. To me, it's like play fighting, but I don't realize how heavy my hands are sometimes. Mm. And I got to be like, oh, I, I need to be careful with that, right? I need to like maybe tone it down a notch. Right. Um, last, you know, strength related question. Um, I know that you're, uh, you know, you were mentioning 
uh, you were a movie buff, but I know you were reading a lot of comics growing up as well. Who in your comic book world do you think that you could maybe not like best, but go to toe, toe to toe with? See, that's the thing. All of those like characters are superhuman, right? So, like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're more than human. Right. And like, I don't, I don't even think I could bang with even like the weakest of them because <laughs> it, yeah. Cause even like the weak, like even like a human, like the Punisher, right? Like somebody like that has already dialed in their skills and all that stuff. And I'm just like some grunt, like, <laughs> like a brawler. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna. I'm like at best like a Batman henchman, <laughs> right? Like that's where I'm at. <laughs> like, uh, like at best, I'm like a Batman henchman. Like I might be able to like fist fight the Riddler. I I would give you more of like because I played a lot of the Arkham Batman games growing up. So I wouldn't say that you're just like a, a random guy that's just you know your pack of four. I would say you're probably like one above that. I would say. I'm a. I t- I'll take that as a compliment. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I I, I kind of was like, I'll just try to toss it in there because obviously it's like I don't expect you to say like, oh, I could definitely you know last a minute with the juggernaut or like who no, because you would be no, dead. Just, yeah, that's those are just like unrealistic things, and mm-hmm. like I think that was the exciting thing about comic books. It's just like they were this fantasy world that you could just kind of like imagine yourself being more than who you are. Right. Mm -hmm. But me as I am, it's like, Oh fuck. No, I get fucking (laughs) mauled over issue one. Right. Who is your, um, top three comic book, uh, heroes or villains that, that you fuck with the most? Uh, so let me think. It might have to go. Um, Doom. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Pun- Punisher and Jason Todd. Okay, that's a very unexpected three, but I really like all of those answers. I mean, Jason Todd is technically he can he can go to toes with Batman, and he has multiple times, <laughs> right? Like. And, like, it's one of those – Jason Todd and Punisher are kind of, like, synonymous if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, get it done, you know, cut the head off. That way it's no longer a problem, right? And Batman's like, no, don't kill people. Like, I'm kind of like a cop, but not really, like, <laughs> you know. So, but those – once again, I don't think any of – I mean, Jason Todd struggles between doing good and getting shit done. Right? Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily a bad guy, but he's just, like – do we just want to keep putting people back in prison after they escape every single time? And like, people still die. Mm-hmm. Like at what point, like, is there one life of a bad dude worth the measure of countless victims? Right. Right. Like, right. And that's kind of like the Punisher's whole, like just mantra, right? Just end it, end it. No problem. You won't have any problems after they're dead. You're yes. cool. Right. <laughs> uh, Doom on the other hand is a very interesting character because in his mind he's a good guy Mm, yeah he's just doing what he needs to do to get the world to become this wonderful utopia 
you know, kind of like cracked eggs omelet, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why I really like his character. Also, he's like a mix of like scientist slash magician, right? Like right. sorcerer supreme. Like I think there's definitely issues where he's he's up like if if strange wasn't sorcerer supreme he'd be next in line mm-hmm. like that's i think that's like where he's at with that shit and it's cool because like the more i delved into the character i i, I kind of didn't like him at first because i didn't really like the fantastic four the fantastic four always just kind of seemed forced hmm. yeah it seemed like you could do without two three of these characters you really just need reed richards like that's that's really it right Right. um and having him as like the main villain was just kind of like uh i get it but i don't get it because like he he once again he doesn't believe he's a bad dude and i remember reading somewhere where it was like the only universe um or reality where humankind lived in peace was when doom succeeded as a, as a utopian dictator, Hmm. which is like, Oh, like, right. (laughs) So his character to me is just pretty fucking sick in general, just because I like those stories. Like he comes from like a very tragic tale. His mom was like trapped in hell and his dad literally died, like holding him from freezing to death. So he kept him warm Hmm. with his fucking lifeless body. So uh, to go from like shambles as a child and like fleeing from like his country to literally he becomes God in like an issue, like in a series, you know, he literally is God for like six or eight issues. Right. Like that to me was like, cool. Right. It's like bootstraps mentality. Right. Yeah, totally. So for me, I I can fucking go all day about this. (laughs) But yeah, those three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that we could do an, an entire extra hour of just comic book stuff. But, you know, maybe we can save that for uh, the next time that you're on the podcast. Um, Walter, the last question I ask you before we wrap up the show here is a favorite Mosh related story that you would like to share. And that's anything that's first to your head. So that's like a, a show that you were playing, a show that you were just at. It could be wholesome. It could be gruesome. Whatever's first to your head. Mosh related. Okay. I have two that come to my mind immediately. Sure. One is the final Mosh minority unit last show at Sounding Fury 2012. That show. So the rule in minority unit was we had eight singers. And if you weren't singing, you had to Mosh. <laughs> that, was, that was the rule. Checks out. <laughs> and, yeah. And so that whole show was wild. And one of my favorite moments playing in any band. Um, the second one was I was with my friend and weeks prior to the show, we were talking, he was trying to help me link up with a dude to get like boxing lessons. Cause I just want to get better at like just boxing in general. Like, you know, like I grew up just being like a shitty brawler. It's not really the same. Like I want to be good at something and, you know, I actually like take the sport seriously. Mm. Um, and so he was going to help me, uh, with that. And two weeks later at a show, I rarely mosh nowadays, rarely, rarely mosh. And Donnie Brooke was playing. And for me, that was like a band I grew up on. And I was yeah. like, oh, sick. Like, all right, I'm just going to 
go mosh once and then just call it a day. I didn't realize I fucking knocked his head off and I was just, I knocked him out. He was on the floor. <laughs> I had, I had thought someone else did that to him. I had like, you know, I like you do the thing where you just don't pay attention to what you're swinging at and you're just having fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you get hit, you get hit, whatever. Like, you know, you don't take anything personal. And then my friend uh, was telling me, he's like, dude, you're a dick. I'm like, what happened? He's like, that was you. I was like, no. He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, and at that time, I was kind of in my prime with training and weightlifting, you know. So I hit him right where I needed to hit him for him to just go right to sleep. I'm not going to put names out there we're still great friends he's still one of my favorite people but it looked like such a dick move but it was not intentional (laughs) yeah i think we've all been been in the fury of fists and you know sometimes we get a little bit ourselves and sometimes we connect but you know for the most part we're just it's so like in the moment you're not really you know thinking about it but then sometimes on the outside you're like oh my gosh did walter just smack so-and-so they're just lights out right now. <laughs> Actually, Brace War 2008 or 7? I don't remember. Brace War was Brace War was playing the chain reaction in uh in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was like one of their first times out here and we were all of us were just going fucking berserk. And I just remember just getting hit in the side of my head so fucking hard. And I had no, I felt like somebody hit me with a bat. I thought somebody threw something at my fuck, like just chucked up something with like an object only to like slowly, like in a dream state, look over to who it was. And it was, it was Corey Williams who sings in internal affairs (laughs) and which obviously like we, we we were friends, but he was like much older than me. And I just never realized how fucking hard that man hits. Mm. And I was concussed the rest of the night easily. Like I, I just remember everything feeling like a dream after that. I was like, Oh wow, this sucks. And I'm just like, Oh fuck, don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Stay awake. Right. So I'm just like pounding monsters. Cause I'm afraid I'm going to die in my fucking <laughs> sleep. Cause Corey hit me in the head. <laughs> just trying to overload on the caffeine just to, to just remain to play consciousness just, yeah just to just to play it safe yeah that yeah. was probably one of the more iconic uh moments of me being on the receiving end of that yeah well you know you you said two and you got gave us three and i i always like a, a hat trick to end off the episode um walter all the you know your links and band links and all that good stuff is going to be in the in the description of this episode and the show notes and all that uh but if there's any final words uh things you want to shout out or anything you want to plug the floor is yours my friend um start a band if you're under the age of 18 definitely start a band don't care how shitty it sounds don't care if people like it just do it you'll find your way out the other end and that's probably going to be one of the coolest things some of you guys might ever do so just don't be afraid jump in head first I love that. Um, Walter, this has been such a fun conversation. I hope that we can do it again sometime. And thank you so much for making our 200th episode of the podcast a special one. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.